Uh, let us hear the word of God as it's found in, in Jude. Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called, sanctified by God the Father, and preserved in Jesus Christ. Mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith, which was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain men have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were marked out for this condemnation, ungodly men, who turn the grace of our God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. But I want to remind you, though you once knew this, that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who did not keep their proper domain, but left their own abode, he has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day. As Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them in a similar manner to these, having given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh, are set forth as an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Likewise also these dreamers defile the flesh, reject authority and speak evil of dignitaries. Yet Michael the archangel, in contending with the devil, when he disputed about the body of Moses, dared not bring against him a reviling accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke you. But these speak evil of whatever they do not know, and whatever they know naturally, like brute, boost, like brute beasts, uh, in these things they corrupt themselves. Woe to them! For they have gone in the way of Cain, have run greedily in the era of Balaam, for profit and perished in the rebellion of Korah. These are spots in your love feasts, while they feast with you without fear, serving only themselves. They are clouds without water, carried about by the winds, late autumn trees without fruit, twice dead, pulled up by the roots, raging waves of the sea, foaming up their own shame, wandering stars for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. Now Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men also, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousand of his saints to execute judgment on all, to convict all who are ungodly amongst them of all their ungodly deeds, which they have committed in an ungodly way, and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are grumblers, complainers, walking according to their own lusts, and they mouth great swelling words, flattering people to gain advantage. But you, beloved, remember the words which were spoken before by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, how they told you that there would be mockers in the last time who would walk according to their own ungodly lusts, These are sensual persons who cause divisions, not having the spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And in some have compassion, making a distinction, but others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. 
to God our Saviour, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. Beloved, let's pray. Uh, Father, we we stand before you in the awareness that our need is very great, greater than we would even understand. But Lord, we, we thank you that your word matches, Lord, we would say your word supersedes our longings, answers our cries, corrects our flaws and endears us to your truth. How we love your word, how we love your truth. It's a lamp onto our path, light onto our feet. How it uh, conforms us to the image of your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's our desire. We want to be more and more like Jesus. So we pray, our Heavenly Father, that you would help us as we look to the Bible now. That much of this may be at work in us. And we ask, Lord, that uh, as your Spirit works in us, that we would work it out in our lives. Hear us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, friends, Jude, as... We have seen, was identifying for those to whom he wrote the existence of error in his ranks or in their ranks. Certain men, he tells us, certain men had crept in unawares and he identified this as a clear and present danger. And as a result of that, he has written this letter to encourage people to be alert to the, the problem uh, that's amongst them. His readers, we find from the very beginning, are those who are in Christ Jesus. They are born again. They are called the beloved of God. They are kept for and by Jesus. They are on the receiving end of the abounding love, mercy, and peace of God himself. That's how Jude begins his little epistle in verses 1 and 2. And then as we discovered the body of the letter uh, follows and is taken up with um, basically showing how the ungodlessness, the blasphemy, the immorality of what was then present in these congregations or congregation actually murdered offence that had taken place long before. And Jude then uses these offense in the course of his letter to make uh, the point forcibly uh, that what is happening uh, isn't new. As we're told in Ecclesiastes, there's nothing new under the sun. But it allows us to recognize also that just as that was true you know, way back then, as it was true in the context to which Jude wrote. Uh, So we are not immune, even in our day, uh, to these things that we're reading about. And we'll see uh, more of it as we continue to look at uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3 on Sunday evenings. But as we recognize the church uh, at this point in history, in the Western world particularly, uh, the danger 
that Jude highlights is a, a very present danger for ourselves. Now, once Jude has done that, you know, informed them of the predicament and the body of his letter, he then went on to give the direction as, as to what uh, they should be doing. And we spent a little time on that from verses 20 to 23, where he said to them, I want you to keep yourselves. I want you to stay alert. Uh, I want you to have mercy. I want you to know that scoffers um, who have been predicted, scoffers who have been prophesied, uh, they are going to pop up in your midst. So make sure that you do not succumb to their insinuations. And now in verses uh, 24 and 25, he's going to remind us, he's going to assure us of the work of God. So you can see, friends, how the letter, if you like, has come full circle. Okay? Jude returns to where it begun. God keeps you. You need to make sure you have a part in this. But if you've been wavering, remember we said a couple of weeks ago, if you're wobbling at all, you should be absolutely certain about the presence of Almighty God and the work of God. And so verses 24 and 25 are essentially a doxology. Okay, so they come at the end. They're not really a benediction. They're really a doxology. It's an expression. It's a reminder, if you like, of what is at the heart and center of the Christian life. And so as we come to these two verses, it should certainly confront us with the question, just how are we doing? Okay, that's a that's question. How are we doing? How are we doing in this great adventure of the Christian life? Well, we're here tonight at the midweek meeting, and uh, that in itself shows that we've got a spiritual hunger Spiritual thirst, the desire to be with the people of God, seeing the importance of this little uh, oasis, a spiritual oasis, as we, as we often call it, and uh, amidst the, uh, the wilderness in which, which we live. Uh, so we're here. Uh, we have taken the, uh, the call of God seriously for us not to forsake the meeting of ourselves together. We, uh, we have repented of our sins. We believe and rejoice in the good news. Uh, we have become followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. But for all of that, beloved, I don't mean this to be a dampener or a downer. But I wonder, can I ask you, do you ever feel like quitting? Do you ever find yourself somewhere along the line saying, you know, maybe maybe I ought to make a run for the border. Maybe uh, there's a place for just lying down in the grass, you know, beside the still waters, away from the fight. You know, in this great cross-country run, of you like, of the Christian faith, do you ever wonder... 
if you're going to make it to the finishing line? And if so, how will we make it to the finishing line? How will we, how will we be able to run right through to the end, to continue to the end? Well, this is where the encouragement comes in. Verses 24 and 25. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To God, our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. And beloved, these are well, well well-known verses quoted often at the end of our services by way of benediction. And yet the amazing brightness of these verses, the reality, the forcefulness of these verses, stand out against the dark and dangerous backdrop described in the body of the letter. Now, most studies on Jude really breeze through verses 24 and 25. Okay, um, commentaries or even sermons in Jude, you find that a number of verses are taken at length, you know, from the body of the letter. But then when it gets to the end, it's almost like, you know, the, the writer, the preacher says, well, like, everybody knows, uh, you know, these two verses. Uh, we'll just take it in the night and get it over with. So we are not going to breeze through this, okay? We're not finished yet. We've got a few more weeks, I think, to go as we look at these marvelous verses. So let's look at verse 24. And notice the opening phrase. Now to him. Why, I tell you, I could spend the last several months on now to him. Now to him, it would be so easy to just slide past that. Now to him. It would be so easy just to gloss over it. But remember, Jude has begun with God. And now he's ending with God. And having, a, having found it necessary to mention so much that is unsavory and unpalatable in the body of this letter, He then concludes by establishing without doubt the one from whom all security, all joy, all assurance is to be found on to him. Jude knew his Bible. Jude knew the Old Testament. He knew, for example, and we could pluck any any number of Passages or any number of Psalms out of the Old Testament. But he knew, for example, the psalmist declaring in Psalm 138, verse 2, I will worship toward your holy temple and praise your name for your loving kindness and your truth, for you have magnified your word above all your name. Magnify your word above all your name. Now unto him. Unto that name that is above every name. When you get to the end of 
the book of Revelation, what we're practically there. So turn over a few pages to Revelation 4. You get the end of the Bible. You find that the elders in Revelation are doing exactly the same as the psalmist is doing. Uh, They recognized that all of human existence is from and directed ultimately to God. That in the words of the shorter catechism, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him. Not to, not to glorify ourselves, not to enjoy ourselves, you know, but to glorify him. Why unto him. And you know, when we gather in the Lord's day, beloved, it must begin and it must end with God. Not with ourselves, not with our needs. But we almost we always must begin with God and His glory. And so the elders um, we read in verses ten and eleven the elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who live who lives forever and ever. And they cast their crowns before him. Or they cast the crowns before Uh, before the throne saying you are worthy O Lord to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they exist and were created and now friends in in this way Jude you see at the end of his little letter Jude is making it clear that it's of paramount importance that these readers and we're the readers tonight aren't we He's talking to us, these readers. You know, having warned us of the darkness and the deception that is among us, having made it clear that the strategy of these people is deceitful, he says, I want you to make sure that we, having dealt with that, now turn our focus entirely onto him, onto him who sits on the throne. Unto him who is in control of all things. Unto him who is sovereign. So our preoccupation is not with the scoffers. Our preoccupation is not with problems that arise throughout church history and our present and contemporary Christianity. Now, beloved, our preoccupation, our focus is to be turned to him. Now unto him. To the only one who is able to the only one who can keep us from stumbling to the Alpha and the Omega. Because we're tempted, beloved, aren't we? Aren't we always tempted to have big thoughts about ourselves and tiny thoughts about God? You know, when Paul writes to the Colossians, and I'm sure you've touched on this in your your studies with John, when Paul writes to the Colossians, uh, in fact, when Paul writes all these epistles, he writes in this manner, but in Colossians chapter 1, verse 16, uh, he writes, For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth. That's where we always start. Genesis 1, verse 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. You know, if you... You had your tea tonight before you come out. 
Did you breakfast this morning when you got up? We had it as a result of God. God who opened up his hand and bountifully provided for us. God who makes the grass grow. God who controls the ebb and the flow of the tides. It's all from God. With Colossians 1, 16 and 17, For by him all things were created that are in heaven and earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things consist. On to him. That's that's where Paul starts, that's where Jude starts and finishes, on to him. That's where we should endeavor our worship services to start and finish. On to him. On to him what? On to him who is able to keep you. How are you going to finish the race? You're going to make it to the finishing line. Do you feel like quitting? I on to him who is able to keep you from stumbling. Not only is he able to keep you from stumbling, but to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. Three words. Preservation. Presentation. Jubilation. And we're not going to go through the three of them tonight. We want to give time for prayer. But first of all, he here's the promise of our preservation. Now on to him, who is able to keep you from stumbling. Stumbling. Why, how many times have you stumbled? There's, well, I'm saved, what, 40, 43 years or so. People here are saved longer than that. Joyce, you're, you're, you're the oldest one here, aren't you? How many... How, <laughs> many times have you stumbled in your Christian life, sister? You can't count it, sure you can. And those of you who are younger in the faith, and you're kept by the grace of God, you're going you're gonna to stumble. What happens when you stumble on to him who is able to keep you? Yes, we stumble, we stumble in many ways. You know, what possible relevance is there in the promise that God keeps us from stumbling here unless we who walk the Christian path know what it is to stumble? But it's not just a walk along a country path, is it? Not just, the, you know, when you go out around rough woods or whatever, you go for a walk along a country path it has on an uneven surface, maybe a concealed rock or, uh, you know, the root of a branch. And it causes you to stumble. It's the fact that there, it's not, it's not just that, it's the fact that we're in a battle. You know, it's, we're in a conflict. That the Christian is involved, and involved in a continual and irreconcilable war. And, and if we are honest, the things that we often desire to do are the things we shouldn't do. And the things that we ought to be doing are the things that we end up not doing. Is not what Paul says in Romans chapter 7, verse 19. You know, the good that I will to do. And we all 
will to do it. But we don't do it. And yet the evil I don't want to do that I practice. And as Paul says, echoing against Jude in verses 24 and 25 of Romans 7, Oh, wretched man that I am. Well, that's how we feel, isn't it? Wretched men and women. Oh, wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me from this body of death? He will keep me. Now on to him. He will keep me, I thank God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. On to him who is able to keep you from stumbling. Beloved, isn't it very important that we are prepared to acknowledge how easy it is to be tripped up? How easy it is to stumble? Important to acknowledge that so that we might say how wonderful it is that we are kept from stumbling. Because we face the weakness of our own hearts. Face the weakness of our own hearts, first of all, in that we can so easily run after things that God does not design for us or desire for us, just as Paul says in Romans chapter 7. And secondly, we recognize also that although the pathway of the Christian life is, in one sense, obviously supremely safe, because, you know, God has us in his hands. And the work that he began in us, he'll carry it through to completion. Yes, in one sense, it is supremely safe. And yet, at the same time, it's incredibly dangerous. Incredibly dangerous because it's fraught with difficulty. You know, you know as, we, as we will sing in our final hymn tonight, Amazing, Gra- Amazing Grace, John Newton is honest enough to acknowledge through many dangers, toils and snares. He's walking a Christian road as we are. And he's honest enough to admit through many dangers, toils and snares, I have already come. So there's the problem of my heart. You acknowledge it also. There's the problem of your heart. There's the danger of the path, the path. You know, the twigs and the branches and the unevenness of it and the rocks below the surface. But then there's also the presence of the enemy. You know, it's like you're, you're walking in the hills and you have to be very, very careful. Because in certain places, your foot may twist and down you go or you start to stumble. But what makes it even worse You know, if there's somebody along the pathway who's just looking an opportunity to jump out and push you. There's somebody sitting up in the branches shooting arrows at you. And uh, the evil one, as we know, appears in furious disguises. Like that lion who walks about ready to pounce, seeking whom he may defar. It wasn't it the simple question of of a wee girl that brought Peter down. You know, you were with that man, weren't you? And Peter begins to curse and to swear, I never knew him. I'm no Galilean. And that little comment from a wee girl brought him, brought him down. He stumbled. 
the God who is able to keep us from stumbling. God kept Peter, kept the rest of them, because it wasn't just Peter stumbled, they all stumbled. They all forsook him and fled. And isn't it God who catches us on the way down, prevents us, you know, from hitting the deck, so to speak, always picks us up, now on to him. Spurgeon, who's always pretty good in these things, writes as follows. He says, um, God could keep us from stumbling, basically, this is what he says. God could do this by shutting us up in a prison or depriving us. Depriving us of the power to commit our sins. But he does not keep us in this way. He leaves us with every faculty and propensity that we had before. Yet by some mysterious, omnipotent working of the Holy Spirit, he keeps his people from stumbling. Well, that's a wonderful way of putting it by Mr. Spurgeon. But what underlines that? What is he actually referring to? How do we understand that? Well, if you like, biblically, how do we understand it? How do we understand it theologically? And this, of course, is where the creeds and the confessions are uh, a tremendous help. Just let me quote from uh, the 1689 uh, Confession of Faith on the chapter of, on, uh, on free will, chapter 9, paragraph 4. When God converts a sinner and translates him into the state of grace, he frees him from his natural bondage under sin and by his grace alone enables him freely to will and to do that which is spiritually good. And yet, yet, so as that by reason of his remaining corruption, he does not perfectly, nor only will, that which is good, but does also that which is evil. O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of unrighteousness? Praise God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So unto him, beloved, so in Christ Although sin no longer reigns, okay? Sin does not have dominion over us. Sin no longer reigns, it remains. And that's the problem. It remains and will remain until the Lord Jesus Christ comes again or until we die and go to glory and get a new body. And wouldn't it be, isn't it tremendous to look forward to that time when there will be no more sin? So sin remains. Now it's very important that we understand that Jude is not writing about the possibility of the believer stumbling and falling out of grace or falling out of the family of God. Of course not. That's not what Jude has in mind because the scripture is very clear. You know that uh, we are secure in the hand of God but he's he's just being real, isn't he? Um, You know, we do stumble. Uh, We do trip up. But on to him. Keep your eyes on him who is able to keep us from stumbling. As Paul writes to the Philippians in uh, chapter 1, verse 6, quoted a moment ago, being confident of this very thing, that he who who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. So the work which his goodness began, as we'll sing now, his work which his goodness began, the arm of, of his strength 
will complete. And that's the promise that we have, beloved. And so, as I said, I don't want to take away from uh, the prayer time tonight, but we'll, we'll pick up again in this next week, and then we'll look at the God willing the other two uh, points from verse uh, 24. 